Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Warriors. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. And for those of you wondering and maybe joining me for the first time, after serving a little over 11 years on active duty myself, I know a thing or two about these cases as I have seen them played out and have followed many of them in the news. Today's case was first recommended to me by my good friend Simone from 90s Crime Time Podcast. It's one of those cases that will leave you scratching your head wondering, wait, what happened? How did two military families' lives collide in the most horrendous of ways? When you hear about stories like Vanessa Guillen and you see and hear the pain of the aftermath of such a murder, it leaves you raw inside wondering, how can you protect your daughters and sons, the ones who want to follow in your footsteps and join the military? When a child is returned from a military assignment in a casket and someone hands their loved ones a folded up flag, many people think, wow, what a life to die for one's country. But in today's case, Lisa Bryant did not give her life for her country. Her life was snuffed out by a man who wouldn't take no for an answer. As we prepare to enter the month of April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, I want to remind everyone, both men and women, that no, no is a complete sentence. You shouldn't have to explain your answer. You shouldn't have to let someone down politely. You shouldn't have to bat your eyes to keep from pissing someone off. As a mother of two girls, soon to be three girls, as a woman who has spent the better part of two decades connected to the military, I say it loud and clear. No, this is a complete sentence. Let's normalize that with our sons and our daughters. Join me today as I discuss the life of Second Lieutenant Lisa Bryant. Now, let's dig in. Shout out to one of my listeners who researched and mostly wrote today's story. Stacy. thank you so, so much for your hard work. I truly appreciate you. My resources for today's case include an Army Court of Criminal Appeals decision and a Kansas District Court opinion, as well as articles written in the Washington Post, the ArlingtonCemetery.net, LA Times, New York Times, and the Daily Beast. Lisa Nicole Bryant was the epitome of an all-American girl. She was destined for greatness from the moment that she was born. Like many military brats, she was born on a military installation. She was born on Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. On March 31, 1972, Colonel Wilbert Bryant and his wife Emily gave birth to this beautiful baby girl. A baby girl that Emily prayed the better part of seven years to have. Lisa wasn't the only child, though. She had an older brother, Wilbert Jr. By the age of three, Lisa's parents knew that she was talented and special, 
because she was already reading at the age of three, which only made her parents want to show her off to her friends even more. Kind of like me sharing pictures of my four-year-old killing it on the monkey bars. Well, Colonel Bryant was a hard-charging military man racing up the military ranks. And making rank brings with it the constant military moves. While Lisa and her brother maneuvered the life of military kids, they didn't worry because they always had each other. By the late 70s, the Bryants moved to Fairfax, Virginia, which was a place that created a lot of relationships and lifelong friendships for the family. And while they called this location home, they eventually had to move away, but they did return to their home in Fairfax. The Bryant family was living in a prestigious neighborhood while in Fairfax. It was so prestigious, in fact, that it included neighbors like Colin Powell and his wife, Alma. The Powells and the Bryants became family friends and spent a lot of time together. Alma recalled watching Lisa ride her tricycle around the neighborhood. In fact, both families had sons the same age and they hit it off and became fast friends. Lisa was every parent's dream student. At the age of 10, she campaigned in the community to raise thousands of dollars for the March of Dimes. Lisa spent her summers swimming at the officers club and babysitting for the military elite's children. By the time Lisa was high school age, the family returned to Fairfax and Lisa became extremely active in school. She was working as the managing editor of the school's student newspaper. She joined the cheerleading squad and eventually became the captain of the JV team and later the varsity team. And she didn't stop there. Lisa was the founder and president of a junior civic community outreach program. And let me just pile on some more information, okay? She was a member of the Science Honor Society, the Student Government, and the Spanish Club. And this girl had it going on. Not only was she involved in all those activities that I just mentioned, she actually had enough time to start her own business. It was a gift wrapping business. And the name of her company, The Classy Pack. (laughs) At the end of her high school tenure, she was voted most likely to succeed. And they wouldn't be wrong as she graduated from school with high honors and was accepted into Princeton University. But sometimes getting into good schools isn't the only problem. Sometimes paying for college is the hurdle most students need to jump. But Lisa had a plan. She had grown up alongside the military all her life, so she knew there was only one way. She applied and was accepted into Princeton's Army Reserve Officer Training Corps program. The ROTC program, or ROTC as it is often called, is a program where the military will pay for your full college. And it is very difficult to get a full scholarship, but our girl Lisa, she was an achiever. Once in college, Lisa hit the ground running. Lisa majored in sociology as a starting point to her education. And just like in high school, she was involved in anything and everything. She became the vice president of her freshman class, and she even revived the defunct Princeton cheerleading squad, raising it from the dead and becoming the squad's president. Lisa wasn't just an amazing leader and a smart cookie, but she was also kind. Lisa's mom recalled that she would always be the person that complimented someone if they looked nice. Emily, her mom, looked forward to her daily calls from her daughter, and on one such call, Lisa told her mom she was accepted into the predominantly black Delta Sigma Theta sorority. (laughs) That's awesome. The Delta Sigma Theta sorority website states that its mission is to, quote, confront the challenges of African-Americans by addressing the health, education, international development, and to strengthen the African-American family, end quote. 
Not surprisingly, Lisa became the vice president of the sorority. Lisa was obviously very busy with her social activities and her education, but don't forget, she was also a member of the ROTC program. But while some folks are very gung-ho, hoorah, military, Lisa wasn't that type of military person. She more or less felt that the military was a, quote, necessary evil. She felt this because it helped her pay for college and, in a sense, it made her feel closer to her family heritage. She had a lot of people down the line that had served in the military. In addition, let's not forget, her dad was a retired army colonel. His two brothers were also military men. One of them was even a general in the Army Reserve. Colonel Bryant, retired Colonel Bryant, was so proud of his baby girl. But there was more to Lisa's sort of standoffishness to Rotsi. The person in charge of the program was a man by the name of Lieutenant Colonel George Dotsie. Lisa described that he didn't make life easy for her. Well, I think that's all ROGC instructors. But remember, Lisa's not the complaining type. However, she felt that Dotsie often passed her up because of her good looks. But she proved him wrong. And even though Dotsie would oftentimes give her awards half-heartedly, she went on to obtain the highest grades in the ROTC program. You go, girl. As her time at Princeton began to wind down, Lisa was assigned to find the keynote speaker for her graduating class. Lisa reached out to Alma Powell, her family friend, to see if her husband would be available to be the speaker. And Alma was like, of course, he will speak, but you need to get the request in immediately so that his calendar doesn't get booked up. Lisa was quick to write that letter to Colin Powell's office requesting his presence as a keynote speaker. But Lieutenant Colonel Dotsie intercepted the letter stating it was not on the correct letterhead. And he held on to the letter for some time. And by the time he got the letter out, Colonel Powell was already booked. Be that as it may, graduation day arrived and Lisa graduated with top honors from Princeton University. In addition to graduating with honors, she commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. Lisa kind of giggled to herself in that very moment, later telling everyone that no one was more shocked than her when she was accepted into Princeton. In fact, she was in such disbelief, she didn't completely unpack her bag, for sure believing she wasn't going to make it. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy. And it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. 
And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Graduating seniors often take the summer after college to take a breather, look for a job, but not for Lisa and not for most ROTC students. As a second lieutenant in the United States Army, she was immediately tasked with a summer gig. She was going to be assigned temporarily to Fort Bragg to assist with the summer ROTC program and the protocol program. I can imagine Lisa was not a happy camper. She had been assigned at Fort Bragg the prior summer and she recalled it was hot as hell and she had actually gotten into a car accident and she didn't want that bad juju again. But we all know military orders are military orders. Lisa realized she just needed to suck it up for six weeks because after this gig, she was heading to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for her formal engineer's officer's basic course. And then the fun would really commence as her first duty assignment had been placed in the books. Homegirl was heading to Germany, which is an amazing assignment. And Lisa's long-term goal was to repay her four-year commitment to the military, get out, attend Harvard or Columbia for law school, and become a lawyer. On June 6, 1993, Lisa reported for the summer ROTC program at Fort Bragg. She was assigned as a senior staff member, and she was placed in the transient dormitory rooms in Hardy Hall in room 206. Normal protocol in the military back then was to segregate officers and enlisted personnel in separate dormitories as to keep them from fraternizing with each other, which is illegal in the military. Fraternizing is when you have officers and enlisted members kind of hanging out in a non-professional environment. But, you know, budget cuts. So the army was relying on people behaving themselves and they decided to put officers and enlisted members in the same dorm rooms or in the same dormitories. On July 9th, over a month after Lisa had been at Fort Bragg, many soldiers had decided to blow off some steam and throw back some drinks. And Lisa was no different. She and another female soldier decided to go to the Moon Hall, specifically the Stillwell Lounge, located in the basement of the hotel. While they were at the bar, Lisa was approached by a sergeant first class. His name was Irvin Graves. Well, he had been at the bar for a hot minute by the time he saw her, and he was nice and liquored up when in walked Lisa. He saw the pretty girl and approached her, asking her for a dance. Lisa likely politely said no, but Irvin would not stop asking, forcing Lisa to tell him no, not once, not twice, but three times. That was the extent of their interaction that night, or really ever before that moment. They had never met until this moment, and Lisa was not interested in his advances. She had a boyfriend, and she was just there to let loose a little. She didn't need no drunk-ass NCO breathing down her neck. At around 2 a.m., Lisa left the bar, and she headed to Hardy Hall. She entered her dorm room and realized, oh, her roommate was sleeping. But Lisa really wanted to call her boyfriend who lived in California. 
But instead of waking up her roommate by using the phone in the room, she decided to be respectful, call her boo thing from the hallway payphone. She was in the hallway chit-chatting with her boyfriend and she told him all about that creep at the club who wouldn't leave her alone. When from the corner of her eye, she saw Irvin. Irvin had some sort of interaction with Lisa while she was talking with her boyfriend, but then he left and returned to his room. Lisa continued her conversation with her boyfriend. By this point, it was closer to like 3 a.m. When all of a sudden, Lisa's boyfriend says the phone went silent. He waited by the phone for her to call him back, but she never did. Back at Hardy Hall, Lisa was engaged in a fight for her life. When Irvin emerged from his room with a 357 Magnum and ordered Lisa into his room, she may have said no in the club, but the answer no meant nothing to him once he got her alone in his room. Irvin manhandled Lisa, pushing and pulling her to his room. When they got to his door, he kicked it open as he had propped the door open with a deadbolt. Lisa pushing and pulling in the opposite direction to not go into the room with him. Lisa, the warrior, used all her strength. She feared if she was trapped in his dorm room that he would rape her or do something else. Their struggle was so violent, in fact, that he ripped her earring out of her ear. He ripped her gold necklace from her neck and dislodged one of her shoes. Irvin then decided to point the gun point blank at Lisa to force her into the room. Lisa saw the gun and cried out, no, please. And with that, Irvin shot Lisa point blank to silence her. Lisa fell to the ground and Irvin stood over her body and shot her three more times, hitting her in the face, neck and upper back. The promising second lieutenant Lisa Bryant took an oath to serve and protect her country, but her country failed her because there she lay in the hallway of Hardy Hall, just two months after commissioning into the army. It was 3 a.m. and Lisa was now dead at the hands of one of her comrades. During the struggle, it all happened so fast. They struggled, the gunshots, people in the nearby rooms, they took cover in their rooms. But one scared person looked out the window and saw a van taking off without headlights on. You see, immediately after the shooting, Irvin fled the scene. He got into his van and took off away from the base. And it wouldn't take long until Lisa's body was discovered outside Irvin's room. Military police were called and they began to investigate. I imagine all the dorm residents standing by their doors, trying to be nosy, trying to be helpful, trying to be anything. While the investigators are doing their thing, Irvin shows up to the scene acting like dumb and dumber, trying to get into his room, acting like he had no idea what had just happened. When he was approached for questioning, he said he was loading his van for a military exercise the next day and he wasn't aware of what was happening. But he fooled absolutely no one and was immediately arrested. I'm not sure why he was immediately arrested, but it may have had something to do with the fact that Lisa's earring, her necklace and her shoe were all found inside his room. Further investigation would later reveal Lisa's hair in his boots as well. A gunpowder residue test of his hands would reveal he had recently shot a gun and a test on his car steering wheel revealed gunpowder residue on there as well. At 4.30 in the morning, the dreaded phone call was made to Lisa's parents. They were awakened to military officers that told them the worst news a parent could ever receive. Lisa was dead. 
Her bright, shining light had been put out by a military man she had declined to dance with. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Irvin Maury Graves was born in Omaha, Nebraska. His mother was Anna Starks. Irvin had been raised by Anna and his stepfather, Elmer, who had been in his life since he was about six weeks old. Irvin entered the military at the age of 20, and it was then that he married his wife, Renee, whose father, Otis Reed, also shared a lengthy military career. Irvin was a quick burner, racing up the ranks, and eventually he found a place in the military's Old Guard. The Old Guard has been in existence since 1784 and is the longest active duty unit in the military. And Irvin was proud of his service. When someone asked Irvin, so what you do in the military? He would proudly boast that he was a presidential escort and that he secured the White House. Not too shabby, man. Not too shabby. Irvin had a lot of pride in his military career. He didn't want to return to Omaha to wait tables or worse, end up on the street doing God knows what. So that fear, that fear pushed him to be the best soldier he could be. He had the shiniest button, the shiniest shoes. He was a stellar soldier. He spent a year of his 15-year career based out of the demilitarized zone dividing North and South Korea. His military service was blemish-free. He also won many awards for parachuting, air assault, and infantry exercises. In 1993, Irvin was reassigned from Fort Myer, Virginia, to the Georgia Military College ROTC program. He had plans on moving there and moving his family from Omaha to Georgia to be closer to him at the same assignment. However, he was pulled from the Georgia Military College thing twice to perform instructor duties with the summer ROTC program at Fort Bragg. This was extremely frustrating times for Irvin, and it's kind of understandable. While Irvin's service was stellar, he did have some colleagues that stated he was extremely headstrong and he did have a drinking problem. He had one instance, in fact, where during one of his drunken nights, he pulled a gun and pointed it at his wife. His superior at the time made him surrender his weapon for only one week. But there is no mention of this behavior on an arrest warrant, nor on any formal or informal military paperwork. And even with this, 
his superiors had nothing but glowing remarks to say about Irvin, which is a little bit obnoxious, you know. We in the military sometimes, we are faithful to a fault. Our shiny pennies can do no wrong, even when there are warning signs that someone is about to snap. And on the night that Irvin met Lisa at the Stillwell Lodge, he had had about a case of beer, according to him. And we will never know what Lisa told him, how she turned him down. But you know what? That doesn't matter because a woman should always have the right to tell a man or another woman no. She can be mean. She can sound annoyed. No means no. And that's that. But apparently, this shiny penny couldn't handle his ego being hurt. When Irvin bumped into Lisa in the hallway after the bar, the sight of her annoyed him. So in that moment, he made a plan. He returned to his room and decided Lisa was going to have sex with him, whether she wanted to or not. While Lisa chatted with her boyfriend on the phone in the hallway, unbeknownst to her, Irvin was in his room creating a torture bed. He removed the shoelaces from his shoes and tied them to the bedpost in his room. His intent was to tie Lisa to the bed and then rape her. He then took a 357 Magnum and loaded it. Before leaving his room, he flipped the deadbolt to keep it open, like you normally do in a hotel room. Then he went on a mission to kidnap Lisa, rape her, and who knows how he would have ended his plan. What he didn't expect was for Lisa to be a fighter. Twenty-one-year-old Lisa Bryant had a closed casket funeral, and she was buried at Arlington National Cemetery after receiving a funeral full of military honors. There was a horse-drawn carriage, and ironically, military servicemen and women who were a part of the old guard escorted her casket. The old guard is the same prestigious organization that just up until a few months earlier, her murderer was a part of. And as if this Poor Lieutenant's funeral couldn't be filled with more ironies. Lieutenant Colonel Dotsy, the man that seemed to make Lisa's life a living hell in ROTC, well, he gave her eulogy. The praises he didn't give her in life, he now shared in her death. And maybe that's why her family asked him to give the eulogy. There was mixed reaction from her family to this. Colonel retired Bryant he felt that this was a double-edged sword because Dotsie hadn't given any accolades to his daughter while she was alive. Lisa's mom, Emily, she felt that Lisa would just about have rolled over in her grave knowing that Dotsie was speaking at her funeral. But, you know, mom felt that he was trying to make amends for all the years of not appreciating her daughter. General Colin Powell paid his respects at Lisa's wake. Princeton University alum attended as well. Her sorority sisters, Delta Sigma Theta sorority, sang, lean on me, as a tribute to Lisa during the funeral. Lisa's uncle, Dr. Willie Bryant, also gave a eulogy, and he did not hold back on the family's disdain, their disbelief that Lisa's murder could occur on a so-called secure military base. Everyone was just baffled. Lisa was remembered at her funeral as someone who sent thank you notes to everyone for every gift or experience they had together. She was notorious for leaving very upbeat messages on her friends and family members answering machines. She worshipped her brother and she told everyone 
that her future hubby, whoever he might be, he had better be as wonderful as Wilbur Bryant Jr. One of Lisa's peers recalled what Lisa wrote in their yearbook. Quote, we have crossed the bridge. The ocean lies ahead. Plan as if you will live forever and live as though you will die tomorrow. End quote. A year after Lisa's senseless murder in July of 1994, Sergeant Irving Graves stood trial for her murder. He chose a panel with both officer and enlisted members, and he pled not guilty and claimed he was innocent. The families of both Lisa and Irvin were beyond themselves. How could this have happened? Irvin's family fell on their sword for their boy. Irvin? Not my Irvin, they thought. But the evidence was there. The gun that killed Lisa was owned by Irvin, although he claimed someone stole it from his room that day. Yeah. Okay, buddy. His defense team tried hard to point the finger. They said this was all the military investigators' fault because the military investigators didn't investigate alternative suspects. They immediately zeroed in on Irvin because her body was discovered outside his door. But remember, there was all the other evidence that was found inside his room. Needless to say, on July 23, 1994, Irvin Graves was convicted. And next came the sentencing hearing. On his behalf, his wife of 14 years spoke. She stated she couldn't understand how her husband and father to their two sons, 13 and 16 years old, could have committed this crime. She pled for them not to take his benefits away. For Lisa's family, the sentiment was much stronger. Her father, well, he wanted the death penalty. That was the only way to right this wrong. Lisa's mother also spoke, stating how she would miss the girl that would compliment people with no prompting, always told people that she loved them and how much she would miss her daughter's hugs. At sentencing, her brother Wilbur Jr. told the jury, she was my best friend because as the colonel's kids, we moved often, quote, I didn't have a hometown and she didn't have a hometown. Our hometown was each other. And now she's gone for no reason, end quote. The jury had a lot to consider in their deliberation, but in the end, they decided the death penalty was not the answer and they sentenced him to life in prison. And back then it was just life in prison. So life in prison with the possibility of parole. This meant that 10 years later in 2004, Irvin would begin to start getting looked at for possible parole. After Lisa's murder, retired Colonel Bryant made it his mission to push for enlisted and officer members to not be permitted to be housed in the same facilities. He said that this was to help prevent any of these issues in the future, which, you know, this is interesting because while that solution may have saved Lisa's life. It may not save the lives of enlisted on enlisted crimes or officer on officer crimes. But I understand Colonel Bryan's efforts. Since his conviction, Irvin has filed several appeals alleging that he is, oh, get this, paranoid schizophrenic and that this condition mixed with excessive alcohol made him murder Lisa Bryant. And actually, in 1995, while in prison, Irvin was in fact diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Prior to this diagnosis, he had no documented issues, 
no conditions of the such, nor did his defense team bring this up at trial. Since his conviction and during his appeals, he has also claimed that the voice of God was speaking to him on the night of the murder. And the voice of God was telling him, kill a demon, kill a demon. So he was just listening to God, except after he killed the demon, he, quote, realized it was Lisa Bryant. Yeah. Okay, buddy. So did God tell you to set up a rape torture bed in your room using shoelaces? Yeah. No. So you're a freaking liar. Apparently, during his appeal, he claimed that these voices began at the age of 12. Yet he still managed to serve in the military for 15 honorable years and even served in various prestigious positions. You know, I'm not saying it's not possible, but it just seems very strange that no one, no one has ever come forward and talked about his acting odd at all. But you know what? I digress. And mental health is not my forte. So you take that for what it's worth. No need to email me about mental health. I get it. A quick review of the Federal Bureau of Prisons inmate locator shows that Irvin is, quote, not in Bureau of Prison custody, end quote, which leads me to believe he may have received parole at this point, but that's completely unclear. In any event, Irvin Graves is currently 61 years old. Lisa Nicole Bryant may be gone, but she is certainly not forgotten. There are many memorials set up in her honor. There is the Lisa Bryant Fund for Children set up through Princeton University. There is the Fort Bragg Delta's Second Lieutenant Lisa Nicole Bryant Memorial Scholarship, also known as Lisa's Legacy. The scholarship is awarded to a deserving undergraduate military family member attending Fayetteville State University. And this scholarship is given to someone who exemplifies a commitment to education while majoring in sociology, psychology, or education. Lisa Sorority is actually currently hosting a virtual 5K to honor Lisa's legacy and to raise funds for the scholarship fund. It's a virtual event and is open until April 1st. It is called the Second Lieutenant Lisa Nicole Bryant 5K Memorial Fund Virtual Event. You can donate $30 to the cause. The event closes on April 1st. So if you're interested, sign up quickly. I'm going to put a link in my show notes. Lieutenant Bryant, who was assigned to a company visiting dignitaries around the post, she was scheduled to remain at Fort Bragg for only two more weeks before moving to Missouri to attend basic course for officers in the Army Corps of Engineers. She then expected to spend three years in Germany. Ultimately, she hoped to go into real estate development or to become an environmental lawyer. Lisa, just 21 years old at the time of her death, used to have a saying, and it went something like this, quote, my mom always taught me just kill people with kindness, end quote. Lisa's case makes me want to hug my kids just a little bit closer every day. This week, I want everyone to take the time to realize that everything isn't always okay. Some people who are equally as strong as Lisa in her situation, they may not have fought and they may have survived. But sometimes survival is its own form of hell. I hate to be old granny. Ladies and gentlemen, don't trust anyone. 
But you know what? I will be because please, for the love of Pete, don't trust anyone. I mean, she didn't trust anyone. I'm not saying that she trusted this guy. She didn't. But I'm just saying sometimes there is this sense of security that you feel when you're on a military base, when you're in the dormitories. Just because you're on a military installation, just because you found a cute veteran on Snapchat, you know, being a faithful veteran shouldn't give people extra brownie points. What it should do is make you more vigilant, but you should always be more vigilant regardless of someone's past. And listen, I'm a vet, I'm married to a military man, but it makes me all the more cautious. For more Mama Margot throughout the week, make sure that you're following me on social where I occasionally show my face, go on rants about motherhood, true crime, or whatever the heck else I choose to talk about that day. My Instagram is Military Murder Podcast, and we also have a Facebook discussion group, and you can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash military true crime. Before I end today, just another quick shout out to Stacy for researching and writing this episode. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. This month's executive producers are Nicole and Falcon 13. Newest associate producer is Lori C., and this week's newest assistant producers are Kimberly J, Christina M, Mr. JG, and Madeline Q. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Podcast.